0: Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, a verse that we're all familiar with, and it has to do with giving and the reward of giving when you give the right way. Jesus said, give, and it shall be given unto you like this. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over shall men give unto your bosom. For with what measure you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. That's an eternal word, forever emblazed in the glories of heaven, never change. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Money is one of the most sensitive subjects in the church. Next to tongues and Christmas, it's the most, probably the most sensitive subject in all Christianity. And money is a way to be blessed. Money is a way to be cursed. It all depends on what you do with it and what it does with you. The Bible says God gives us richly all things to enjoy. He never asks us to be controlled by those things, to be greedy or covetous or be ruled by possessions. And it's hard for people not to be ruled by possessions because you consider how hard you've had to work in your life and how many hours you put in and many of the struggles you went through to get what you've got. And it's hard to let go of some of that just because the Bible says to give. And it's a real challenge. It's a real test of a lot of people's character. But those that do find, as I hope you can learn tonight, when you do give, as God motivates you, God blesses you. There's another kind of a spirit. There's a religious spirit that makes you give everything you have, even when you shouldn't. and makes you think that, oh, you'll be real spiritually if you give everything or just go overboard with this. And that's never been a way of blessing. That's always been a way of, of difficulty. But when your heart is right and you're responding to God like the widow, it's not how much you give, but it's the reason that you give. The two mites, Jesus said, she gave more than all the rest of them not in quantity or in value, but from her heart, what she gave. Now, in Luke 6, when it says, give and it shall be given unto you, he ends that verse, and if you'll turn to Second Corinthians chapter 9, he ends that verse by talking about measuring and giving back. And he says, how much you give is up to you. He said, if you measure it out in abundance, it'll be measured back to you abundantly. In chapter 9, verse 7, he said, Every man give according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. God loves a cheerful giver. And just before he said that, he said, but if, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you'll reap bountifully. It really is up to you. There's nothing legal about this verse of scripture. It has nothing to do with the tithe. It has nothing to do with the traditional tenth that a church has considered the standard for all giving. This has nothing to do with it. It's really between you and the Lord here. It's not between you and a law or a rule because you never make yourself right with God by observing rules. That's the law. No man could ever do it anyway. Now it's a relationship. He that knows to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. He didn't break a law somewhere, but something that was a conviction in his heart that God put there, he's not doing it. See, I believe this. I believe walking under grace is a little more difficult than walking under the law. Think of how much we've been taught and how much we profess to know about scriptural matters. That being true, think of what's required of us. Think of all the things that have been taught that we are responsible now to do as, as Christians. And it's not always that easy, but again, God blesses us. He gives us more, and he expects us to respond and do what he said and love him on his terms and, and do it that way. Now, we'll come back to 2 Corinthians 9 in just a moment, but we began last week talking about who do you give to when it comes to giving in the church. Who do we give to? Again, the mindset of traditional Christianity. I grew up with it. I'm sure you probably did too, that God wants a tenth. And we limit ourselves to a tenth or we try to gain that kind of giving. Most people don't give a tenth. I think the average church member with some poll that was taken somewhere The average member of a church, Christian, will give 2.2% of his income per year. That's an average. Some obviously do a lot more, and some don't at all. 10% is quite a bit. I mean, you think of how much that is in regard to how much you've got. And 10% is quite a bit. So the church has kind of let that which was spoken of in the law come over into the church and without really a verse in the New Testament that says Christians are to tithe in the church age, we've just assumed that that's what we do anyway. And instead of looking for something to verify our giving, we just assume that 10% is is enough or 10% is right. And yet, as you'll see after a while, God says, you're not robbing me by not tithing. He said, you're robbing me with tithes and offerings. The tenth was legally required. That was God, period. But an offering, he said, you rob me with offerings too. And So we want to look at some of those things tonight because giving, first of all, we said last week was to begin with the poor. We give to the poor. And secondly, we spoke of giving to missionary work, those who are on the field, as we call it, out there going into the highways and the byways of life either as an apostle establishing a church, getting one organized, or as an evangelist going to preach and to teach and things like that. And so sometimes the church would get behind these for these people to help them on their journey. Paul made a lot of appeals for that in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. But he didn't mean any of that to refer to the so-called tenth or the tithe, because as you know, a tithe is simply a tenth. It's a tenth of your income, a tenth of your profiting. It's a tenth of some, your substance. It belongs to God. It's his, and as I said, it's still considered today to be the measure of what we give. It's a tenth. But the New Testament doesn't really teach that. But it's, it's assumed, in fact, I think, Many of you probably believe that the tithe is still the the Christian number that God holds us to. It certainly is a high number, I'll say that in, in light of how much people actually give in their lifetime, but I don't think it's, it's what it's called. You see, the first occurrence of the tithe was not in the law anyway. The law was after Abraham. In Abraham's time on the earth, the Bible said in Genesis 14, after having won a battle to gain Lot back, he had been captured. And Abraham took his servants, all 318 of them, and defeated these kings and got Lot and all of his stuff back and his wives and brought them all back along with the spoil of the enemy they just defeated. And the Bible says that when Abraham returned from battle, he was met by the king of Salem or Salim. It means peace. And he gave a tithe of all of his spoil. Not that he had to, there was no reason in the Bible up to that point, there was no mandate, there was no requirement to give a tenth, he just gave a tenth. So it was a freely given tenth. And then over in the law, when the law became established, would you turn to Leviticus chapter 27? When the law came, here's what God said about the tithe. Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30 to 32. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Now, right away, we see this. The tithe was a first fruits of what you grew or your cattle. There's a whole lot in the Bible about the tithe. There was a third-year tithe for the poor. There was another tithe for the landowners. It was a little more complicated than just giving a tenth of how much you make every week. But we're not living under that kind of a program. That was not only the law. that That was under theocracy. We're living in a different system now. But giving is still required. It's like Jesus said, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, but he said, and the tithe of all the land is the Lord's. Verse 31. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, let him add thereto the fifth part. If he brought his big basket of uh, summer fruit in there and it was the best he had ever seen, and he really would like to keep that. I mean, it was his best. It was the tenth, right off the top. And he was thinking, boy, <laughs> I'd like to have that. We'd buy it back. And the priest would come over and he would put a value on what you brought. You know, these cattle passed under the rod, and every every certain one, they hit that with a rod, and that was the Lord's. That was belonged to the Lord. Now, if you want to buy it back, you have to, first of all, what's it worth? Well, the priest would look at it, and he would say, that basket of fruit is $100. Well, I like to keep it. It'll cost you 120 If you want to keep it, give them 120 whatever, Shekel dollars that they had And you get to keep your fruit And the money goes to the priest And if you want to keep your animal you said that animal's worth $200 uh, Well then it'll cost you 240 to keep it Alright If you wanted it bad enough You just bought it back from the Lord At 20% more than what it was worth So you really got to want it to keep it But it was the Lord's There was no way of getting around it There was no circumventing that, it was the 10th, the very best, the first fruits. it all belonged to God. And throughout the whole tithing question and the tithing system, if you want God's favor in your land, in your family, and in your life, you tithe. You always give God what's his. And he often challenged them, like he did in Malachi 3. Prove me. Didn't he say that? Prove me herewith. See if I won't open the windows of heaven. So you see, it belonged to God. It wasn't yours. And and it was to be given to God. And in all the times of Israel's history, when they didn't support the priesthood or they didn't give the the tithe, the country went into, into decline. Because you see, the purpose of the tithe. If we ask the question, why did God say give a tenth? What was the tithe for? It certainly wasn't to build buildings with. It was never intended to be a part of a building program. That was always a free will offering. So what was the tithe for? The tithe was strictly for the priest. God said, the only people in, of the people of my inheritance, all these 12 tribes, he got one tribe, the Levites, that got no inheritance. All the other tribes. Got a piece of land. They had sections of land. They had Judah and Issachar and and Dan and Naphtali and all. But the Levites got no land. They had nothing. God said, You are my inheritance. And all the best and all the first fruits and all the tithe of the land, I'm giving that to you. And not just once a year when they would bring in their crops in the harvest season. But throughout the year, when they offered various kinds of sacrifice for various sins, peace offerings, sin offerings, that throughout the year, the priest ministered in the courtyard to take care of all these uh, sacrifices. And God always gave the best portion, most of the time, the very best portion of what was brought in to be sacrificed went to the priest. And there was so much of it that they had to have a storehouse to put it in. And they had a couple of men who were in charge of the storehouse. But the, the storehouse was the place where all the tithes were brought. And if you had thirty or 40,000 priests that had to feed off of that storehouse, you, you realize that there, there had to be a lot brought in to take care of thirty or 40,000 people. And if you don't bring in enough for them to eat on, they're going to have to get a job. And when they get a job, they can't minister anymore. If they don't minister before the Lord, we all suffer. That's the history of Israel, and that was the way that it, that it worked. Turn to Numbers 18 and verse 6. And I, behold, I have taken your brethren, the Levites, from, from among the children of Israel. To you they are given as a gift to the Lord. Now, would you agree with me when God says the Levites are a gift? That is, they're a special presentation to you. If they're a special gift, then there's a good reason for them being a gift. Let's go on. He said, they are a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. That was the focal point of Israel, was the tabernacle. And the focal point of the tabernacle was the ark. At least I believe it was. Verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, And he said, Behold, I have given thee to the charge of thine heath offerings of all the hallowed things of the children of Israel unto thee. I have given them by reason of the anointing. It's a special call and function that you have that God gives you to do. And to thy sons by an ordinance forever. Now, when it's an ordinance, it is mandated. This is the way we're going to do it, period. Verse 9, this shall be thine of the most holy things reserved from, from the fire. Every oblation, that's a drink offering, every meat offering of theirs, every sin offering of theirs, and every trespass offering of theirs, which they shall render unto me, shall be most holy for thee and for thy sons. And he said in verse 11, this is yours. All these offerings are yours. Verse 12, and the best of the oil and the best of the wine and the wheat the first fruits of them wherein of which they shall offer unto the lord them have i given unto you and whatsoever is first ripe of the land which they shall bring unto me unto the lord shall be yours everyone that is clean in thy house shall eat of it everything devoted to israel shall be yours Now, let me ask you something. Did they get good stuff? It was God who made it clear, and this was in the law. He said, the best of the oil, those of you that are raising the olive groves and you press your oil and make those things of oil that you use for your income, the very best of the oil, don't bring me the worst, bring the best. The best of the grain, the best of the fruit, the best of this, and the heave offerings that when they would dismantle those animals afterwards, Because they had to flay them after they were done offering them, and they burnt part of it, gave part of it to the Lord, and the rest of it they gave to the priest. It was theirs. I mean, that animal, that had to be perfect before you brought it, they got that. This is God's way of saying to the Levites, you're important not only to me as my chosen group in all of Israel, but you're important to the rest of this country because it is through you that they will come to me. You will stand between them... And me, you will take their offerings and go through whatever procedure you do with this special offering, whether it's a dove or a, or a lamb, a goat, or a bullock. And you will bring those offerings to me on their behalf. This is to be an ordinance throughout all their generations. This is what God wanted from them all the time. And in, and in verse 24, towards the end of this chapter, verse 24 But the tithe of the children of Israel, which they offer as a heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites to inherit. Therefore, have I said unto them that you have no inheritance, but you're my inheritance and so forth. So the tithe understand this when we look back as as the church looking back at the tithe because that's again that's the standard that we're adjusted to no questions asked nobody ever teaches on nobody it's just what we do and when you look back at it you ask the question okay then if we're going to do it if we're going to tithe because that was what God said to do then why did God say to do it Because what God said was, that which belongs to me, you can't give it to me because I don't need it anyway. But I'm giving mine to the priest. And I want you to bring the very best you have. I'll bless your land. I'll bless your trees. I'll bless your vines. I'll bless your cattle and your herd. They'll all spring well and they'll all do well. Just remember that a tenth of all that you're getting belongs to God. And this was something that people had to understand. Now, they didn't always do this, and Israel didn't always do well. But this is what they did. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 13, he said, Take heed unto thyself that thou forsake not the Levites as long as you live upon this earth. Don't forsake the Levites. Now, you say, well, I can't afford to give my whatever this month. You better afford to give it. You see, God's keeping records. How many of you know that God knows exactly how much any of us give? Me, you, anybody else. I think it's good, like as we do here, we try to make it personal between you and the Lord. It's nobody else's business what you gave. It's not something that everybody else needs to know about how much you gave. We're not going to say, who will stand up tonight and give a $1,000? We'll buy a whole row of chairs with your name on it. Well a lot of people like the idea of having their name on some chairs and they'll give it but that's not the way the lord said to do it the new testament is a little bit different than that because again when the church was forsaken it didn't do well take for example when nehemiah returned came back to israel from the captivity in babylon when nehemiah came back he found the whole countryside in ruins the walls were broken down on the, where the tabernacle stood. All the priests were gone. The ones that were left, they were gone out in the fields. They had to work. They couldn't afford to not work and just serve people because people were neglecting the priest. And the country was in turmoil. There was a great decline at this time. And the Bible points out again in Nehemiah chapter 12 that the reason the country was in such a decline it was because, as I said, they had forsaken the priest. It's like God said, if you don't want to bless my people whom I have set aside to minister bef- between us, if you don't want to take care of them, then I will no longer take care of you. I think that's probably fair. Because if I want the blessing of the Lord, then this is just one way of many in the Bible, then I can keep a door open in my life and my family for the blessings of the Lord. But I gotta make sure my heart is right in, in doing all of that, because this is, this is how it should be. Proverbs chapter three and verse nine and 10, honor the Lord, remember this one? Honor the Lord with the firstfruits of all thine increase. You ask the question, what does increase mean? All right, let, let me ask you a question. Let's see, I sold a corn crop, my crop this year. Corn is at a pretty good price. And I brought my corn into the granary and all I had, and they weighed it up and wrote me a check for $100,000. Now, is that my, if I tithe, do I tithe off that $100,000? Was that my increase? Well, it took 80 to grow it. I had to buy seed, fertilizer. Had to plow the land, and then they had to keep the weeds out of it. Now, I've got hundred thousand dollars. It cost me. Let them get it more reasonable. Let me just say fifty. It cost me fifty thousand dollars to grow a crop to make fifty. If you want to make money, you spend money. So, if I made fifty thousand dollars, if I increase myself by fifty thousand dollars, do I pay taxes on fifty or a hundred? see. You figure it out. The Bible doesn't say that you have to do what everybody else does, but it's got to be, t- as a man purposeth it's where? In his heart. How do you see this? I remember this brought back a story one time of a lady in a church sold some property once, and she got, it was reported, X amount of dollars. Pretty good load. I mean, it was something we'd all go, yeah. And the preacher told me that, he didn't see any increase in the offering box. And I said, well, I, you know, I have no dog in that fight. I think he said it and it got out and the lady approached him and they got into it. And they asked me to come over and officiate it. No more. <laughs> Brother Tom, would you get between them like this and hear them both out? I said, all right. You go, go, brother. All right. All right, sister, your turn. And When she got done, I said to him, now you told me, that ain't what you told me she said. Uh-oh. I thought, I'm. they're both going to gang up on me before we get out of here. But as it turns out, her reasoning was that the land he sold for, I need a number, the land he sold for he spent, and then she justified all the money she spent, and therefore she actually gained about a third of that. And, uh, you know, I remember her saying it, and I remember at the time, I don't know if I fully agree with that, but that's none of my business because everybody in the room has to stand before God with what you got and what you do with what you've got. you got a purpose in your heart. Because, again, if I'm not restricted or restrained or under obligation to a tithe, then it's my heart. How much do you want out of this, Lord? What should I give? To whom? How? I mean, what do you want me to do with it? It's yours. I think if your heart's like that, he can just tell you what you, what he wants you to give, and you'll give it. I know when it came time to build Solomon's temple, God wouldn't let David build it, but he would his son The Bible said David gave out of his own pocket. By today's standards, close to a billion dollars, all the gold they gave. How could one man have that much money? And the elders of Israel, they got together and they gave more than he did. What a building. But it just goes to show you that God can bless his people. All you have to make sure of is that your heart's right. And make sure that your, your life's desire... Your desire in this life is to be responsive to God, whatever he wants, with your life, with your time, with your money, whatever you've got. Because you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Your business in this life is the Lord's business. And especially with your money, and That's one, as I said earlier, that's one of the hardest things for Christians to let go of. When Ezekiel became a king, he did the same thing that Nehemiah did. He began to repair the house of God. Hezekiah's dad, he wasn't a very nice man, but Hezekiah was. He wanted, again, the focal point in his kingdom to be the tabernacle and the work of God and and make sure that God is glorified. And so he started building it back up, and Hezekiah was blessed in his lifetime. He really was. Now, turn to Malachi 3. You see, all of that was said about the tithe, and it brings us to this. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. In the time of Malachi, things are not well at all. Now, this is the word of God to the people. He said, will a man rob God? Well, there is no Christian in the world today who would ever admit that they rob God. Rob God? No, I don't rob God. Will you give? Well, I would if I could. Hey, I'd like to. I would. I wish I could give more than I do. But, I mean, you know, times are not exactly easy. And, you know, a bit of shutdown here and a slowdown there. And it's and, uh, just a little bit difficult right now. I, I, I want to do better. So in saying that, he justifies. This is a new way of talking to God. He justifies why he doesn't give, and it's all right. Because as far as he's concerned, his heart's right. Now, he's got money to to buy pet food with. <laughs> he's got money to go out and eat with. He's got money to take a little mini vacation for the weekend with, but he doesn't have much for the Lord. And he's convinced because nobody would disagree with him. It's okay. Now, I don't know... Who was robbing God here? You don't know who's robbing. I don't know if anybody here is or not. How would I know? But I just know that God's keeping records. God knows everything. He said, you have robbed me. And they said, how have we robbed you? Well, what are you talking about? How, <laughs> how have we robbed We've been coming here faithfully for 15 years. What are you talking about? We've robbed you. He tells them why. He said at the end of verse 8, in tithes and what? Some people think tithes and offerings is a single word, tithes and offerings. Just a very difficult tithes and offerings. That's one word, one time, one-tenth is it. Tithes and offerings, one thing. But God said, you robbed me in tithes, that's the tenth, and in offerings. I went through the Bible this week to look at, offerings, how offerings are used in the Old Testament especially, and what God wanted from people, he wanted their giving from their hearts. The tithe was legal, you couldn't get around that, but offerings, you dug as you wanted to dig, and I think it's where the New Testament principle of reaping, sowing, and reaping came from. Given it shall be given unto you. I can't find anywhere in the Bible where a man was generous with God, where a man cast his bread upon the water, and it didn't come back. Or give, and it shall be given unto you. I'd like to be able to prove that, and I have. And I'd like for you to prove that, to be a proven truth in your life. I've heard people say, as you've heard people say, you cannot give God. God can give more than you could imagine. He can do exceeding, abundantly above all that you ask or think. But the thing that prompts him is giving. It's digging where it hurts most in your life, and it's usually money. Most people are in so much debt. They're strapped with so many bills that they can't give, and most of them don't. Not very regularly. And spiritually, they probably aren't doing well. They probably are weary or quiet or still struggling trying to figure out what's going on. It's like there's no activity of God in your life to bless you and lift you up. And it could be, it just could be because of the fact that what God wants, he's not getting. But he said in verse 7, return to me. Come back to me. Now listen to this. This is interesting. He said, return unto me, and I will return unto you. And they said, now this is people. How shall we return? And God said, will a man rob God? You've robbed me. You've robbed me with your tithes and your offerings. And he said, plus you are cursed with a curse. Is is that still in the Bible? Verse 9, you are cursed with a curse because or for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And he said, return unto me, and I will return to you. How? In tithes and offerings. And you're giving. Look at what he said in verse 10. I like this as a promise. This is how God will respond because he can. He said, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing and there shall be not enough room to receive it. Now, who's got that testimony? You think of it. This is the promise of God. Prove me. I remember words similar to these, this kind of a theme, many years ago when I wrestled with the idea of giving this tent. I didn't know that it wasn't a tent that God helped me to, but that's where I was at the time. And God said, Prove me. Prove me. See if I won't open for you the windows of heaven. And I remember stretching myself out there a couple times and that little silver offering pan with a velvet liner in the middle of it would come by and usually try to put my dollar or two, maybe three in there. And I remember putting a 20 in there because I almost made $200 a week then and putting a $20 bill, and I'm thinking, this is hurting me deep. This is really, I mean, I am bleeding somewhere. And I didn't go look at the clock, okay, where's my blessing? You see anything yet? You got anything coming? I just began to do it not looking for the blessing and realized, like later, as we usually do, Later, you just start living in a certain way, and down the road later, you realize that you're doing better than you've ever done. And you've given more than you've ever given. And you're doing better than you've ever done. And you pick up hitchhikers, and you take them to a motel, buy them some food. Even one time, fixed, almost overhauled a man's car. Bought him groceries. The car dealer was so happy, he paid for it. And we just gave. Gave. And it seemed like the more we gave, the more it came in. And I remember back in the had a Bible study in Lexington, Kentucky. I had told my accountant, Mrs. Smith said, "How much will you claim for next year so we can set your quarterly payments up on what you're expecting?" Well, I just got through with ten thousand five hundred dollars, and I said, uh, "About thirty, I guess." I mean, thirty thousand dollars was more than the government had. Thirty—I know, I know—thirty thousand dollars. Oh, okay, you know, because Christians aren't supposed to—you're not supposed to be blessed like this. What are you? Well, you would have thought I would cross my eyes and sit on my head and told a joke. And I remember down in Lexington, Kentucky, the Bible study I had down there. Years ago. Years ago. I remember the, the people started coming. I used to, I, and I remember I used to think, why are they coming? I mean, a bunch of people come. I mean, like four or 500 people were coming. And I thought, why are they coming? I'm having a great time. I mean, I'm having a big time. And they keep coming. And I remember the night they Stuck a check in my pocket and driving home. It was $3,000. Well, that was more money than, than I had ever had. Well, no, it wasn't. I had that once before. by $3,000. And I remember thinking, driving down the road, praise God. Uh, I remember thinking, what will I do with this? And I'm one of my friends back in Charlestown needed a set of tires on his car. And I remember just casually asking him, what kind of tires are you looking for? And he told me, and I went, I said, well, go down to that Goodyear store and get them. He said, I ain't got any money for that. I said, oh, don't worry about it. Went down and got them, and the next thing you know, we started giving money away and helping people and doing, and I'm telling you the truth, the more it went out, the more it came in. I stand here tonight, you know, I, I would have never dreamed in all my life now I'm not I'm not wealthy by most people's standards, but I, I have more than I need. I, I'm blessed. I really am. Everything I've got's paid for. Not many people can say that, but we all should be able to say that. And and God has blessed it as it's gone out. He's blessed it as it's come back in. I've made a lot of mistakes. Been foolish with it some, but but God has been good. He really has. And and the truth that I'm telling you about is the truth that I've experienced. That uh, giving opens a door the windows of heaven. And he said, I'll pour out a blessing upon you. But look at verse 11. You've got to want this. The very one who is a thief that comes to kill and to steal and destroy, he said, you give and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. I take myself out of the running to be robbed. I'm no longer a candidate for being robbed. I don't take that foolishly. I say that with, with my heart because God said, you give me mine. And I will not only open the windows of heaven for you, but I'll keep you from being robbed. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall no longer destroy the fruits of your ground or your vine or, the, or your fruit before the time is in the field. And and verse 12, it said, and all nations shall call you blessed. Can I say this to you? We should be blessed. May I gently encourage all of you to consider that God wants to bless you too. Not as a show, but he wants you as you traverse the trails of this life to not be burdened with money. To not always be down in the dumps with money and, oh, we're going to... To leave money, quit being greedy, quit being covetous, just let what you can when you can, give God his and let God bring it back. When he said give and it shall be given unto you, I realized standing here tonight, as I've said before, it's important for me to give. Because if people are going to give to me because I give, those people are most likely you people. Would you agree? I mean, what I'm wearing, you bought it. So it's your fault if you don't like it. <laughs> but if I give, listen to it, give and it shall be given unto you, good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall who give to you? Men, people. God will cause people to give to you. It makes some people mad and it makes some people glad. But that's, that's what he said. This is the part of the Bible that a lot of people don't understand and really don't understand. Uh, don't care a lot about, but it's in there. Now the question is, is a tithe still for today? Is it a New Testament practice in the church? Is there a place in the Bible like in the New Testament where I can see that a tithe was still required? I know it's referenced. It's mentioned two or three times. There's no place that I can find in my searching where in the New Testament, we're brought back to the Old Testament law as a standard for which we measure our giving. It simply says give and... It didn't say how much. It's up to you. As you measure it out, it'll be measured back to you. That's your business. You determine how much. God's waiting. He's watching. He's listening. He knows what you're giving. He knows why you gave it. He knows. He said that he didn't want you to give grudgingly. He didn't want you dread giving. He wants a cheerful giver. Because you begin to see, I please God in this area as much as I please God when I'm witnessing on the streets. It's both God's work. It's harder for some people to give their money than it is to knock on a door. And as hard as knocking on a stranger's door may be, it's not always easy. But... If God gave the tithe to the priest in the Old Testament, and you believe in tithing today, let's say to those who still believe that tithing is a standard, then to whom does God give his tithe in the New Testament? We don't have a storehouse. Where is the New Testament storehouse? Who are the priests that divvy out of the storehouse what the priest would get? We don't have a priesthood like that now. We're not even a tribe of people. Except for one of you, we're not even Jewish. I am on in there somewhere. If we believe in tithing in the church, who's it tithe for? What do you do with it? Now, this is what the institutional church, the established, organized system of religion today, which is called the church in its various forms has done, the institutional church actually is an incorporated business. It has its bylaws, it's a government-approved system that men have put together, usually with the aid of an attorney, and this institutional church has the government's assistance in all that it does so that it can deduct its income from being taxable. That was one of the main reasons or having an incorporated church, so that all the people's giving can be deducted from their taxes. All the people needed is for the church system, the financial system of the church, to keep track of how much everybody gives, and then at the end of the year give you a piece of paper saying, well, you gave this much, and that much you can deduct on your income tax as giving. And people like that. What would happen if people realize that you're, and it's probably going to happen, that church giving is no longer tax deductible? I don't know what will happen to most churches. I know that we are as much a church as any other group that I know, but we don't have any government assistance, and I personally don't want any. I want to be able to say what I want to say about, like political things, if I have to, without being shut down because of it. Because there's a lot of churches, you have to hire homosexuals, you have to do this, you can't say that, because the government, remember, the government oversees all of this. With their approval, we have our system of worship. We have our bylaws that supersede the Bible. We don't go by what the Bible says, we go by the mandate of man. Businessmen who are voted into their office in the church... Every three years, they, they take a year's vacation, and they probably voted back at that office the next year, and, and everything that they approve of by the board and the church, uh, the congregation approves of it, including all the money that comes in because people see the money that goes into the offering is their money. They give their money, and they want to tell what they're going to do with their money. Now, if you think that's a tithe, you've never read anything because the tithe had nothing to do with being answerable to the people. It was strictly God's offering, and he gave it to the priest, and he wanted them to be taken care of well. He didn't want them to struggle and suffer with having enough to eat or having less than they should have. But the institutional church has a financial system. The money belongs to the people. It's not somebody's money, it's our money. And we will every year prepare a budget for ourselves and each department in the church that spends money for supplies, Sunday school, the bus ministry or or whatever you do, the vacation for the preacher. We budget that out of the uh, income and that's how it's spent. And in this institutional church, the pastor is somebody that they have hired He signed a legal contract to do his duties, and the church tells him what those duties are. Bible has nothing to do with this system. Absolutely nothing. And it'll never change because people will never let go of this. And if you told people today that the money that was given by people was given to a person or to a person who is in charge of the the finances of the church, they would think that is the worst thing I've ever heard. That's the worst thing ever. You mean a man would get that money? <sighs> how much is he getting? Nobody knows. I've never told anybody. Have I ever told y'all how many millions of dollars I get? <laughs> well, I'm not broke either. And all the bills in the church I paid for. Most of the missions, if I can get to them first, I try to pay that too. You know, the people who need help. It's just fun. It's good for me to give. And our church, let me tell you something. Our church has been blessed. You have been blessed. And our church has been blessed. I mean, the income that you've made and the giving that you've given, whoever you are, we're blessed. We really are blessed. We've never had to ask you for a dime. And the only time an appeal has ever been made for money is if there was a need in the church that instead of me just taking care of it, it'd be best if we all chipped in and did something about it. And that's the New Testament system. That's just the way it should, it should be. The church, has again, has its hired ministers. The minister in a local church is not the head of the church. He's hired by a board, a board that dictates what he does and what he cannot do, where he's going to live, how many Sundays he preaches and how much time he can take off. They give him an insurance program. They give him some kind of a retirement thing. They pay his medical insurance policies and, and those are his perks that he gets for becoming, that's their appeal they made him to him for all, of, come on, we'll give you all this stuff. We got a nice parsage. The pulpit committee went out to look for him, found him and said, we'd like you to be our preacher. Let me tell you what we got like they're recruiting somebody. Look at here what you get. And most preachers are for sale. And you know that. You may not want to admit it, but you know that it's true. Most preachers are for sale. They're afraid to say some things the Bible said, for fear they get fired. And to accommodate that fear, they back off, water it down, leave it alone, and try to make you comfortable and happy, knowing that if they can do that, they get to stay and enjoy their time. I think it's a shame. I think it's a travesty. I do. I really do standing here, and I think it's a travesty that a religious system has gone so far downhill through the centuries that it's come to this. We talk about tithing. Oh, I tithe. I give my tithe. You can't find that in the New Testament. You can find a reference to it, but you can't find that that's what God holds us to. Go back to 2 Corinthians 9. We started earlier. 2 Corinthians 9. This is what it says as according to how we ought to give. And it's pretty plain. It's pretty simple. We read a while ago. Chapter 9, verse 6. He says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now, this is not talking about a tithe. And chances are because it's talking about giving to those in another place that need help. I'll give them that. Because like in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, if you went back a few pages of verse 1, it talks about giving to the necessity of the saints. It's in chapter 16. But over here, back to giving, and what I believe is the New Testament way, he that sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. And he which sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Notice verse 7. Every man according as he purposeth, In his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let me suggest this to you. If you dread giving, if you really don't want to give, don't, because it won't do you any good. If your heart's not right, if what you're giving to the Lord doesn't come out of the heart, and he knows If it's not a glad and joyful expression of of your appreciation for God, in this sense, in giving, then keep it. Because if you give grudgingly or of necessity, that's not what he wants. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. And verse 8 says, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, so that you always having all sufficiency in all things might abound to every good work. And he told them back in chapter 8, and verse 12, he said, For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what a man has, not according to what he doesn't have. You don't give what you don't have, folks. You don't do that. I remember it was a Social Security check somebody sent me once. A lady in another state wanted to bless me. So she sent me her Social Security check. I think it was... Eight or nine hundred dollars. And I remember looking at that thinking, "This is all the woman's got." I took it and I wrote a note, and I wrote a little letter actually, and put the check back in an envelope, and I sent it back to her, and I said, "I want to thank you for giving, and I receive it, and I thank you for this that you've given to me. Now I want to bless you. I want to give it back to you because this is your livelihood. You need this more than I do, but God knows your heart. You gave it. I receive it. You get it back. I don't think God wants you to give what you don't have. You understand? Because I don't think he's in here asking anybody if you're one of those that need to hear this in detail. I don't think he's asking you to give what you don't have. There may be times he would, and that's not my, I can't question that. But, I think most of the time God just leans on us and says, have I blessed you this week? Have I blessed you this month? If I said to you in in here tonight, how many of you are peacefully blessed? Is that from God? Well, of course it's from God. Then it should be easy, if you think about it, it should be easy for you to think, you know, God has given me this peace and joy. God has given me what I the car or the cars that I'm driving. He's given me the house, health, children. He's given me this and uh, that. You know, the least I can do is respond to God in such a trivial way as money. Money is so cheap. People will give their bodies for it, they'll lie for it, steal for it, kill for it how cheap a person's life is you lay it down for money but you've got some money and he said and you just respond to God that's what he would say give it back to God he wants you to give it willingly in fact that's what God asked for in the book of Exodus he said when it comes to building and and doing something special he said I want it to come from willing hearts Every man who gives willingly, I will receive your offering. You'll find that in Exodus chapter 25 and Exodus 35. Another verse I want you to see is in Ephesians chapter 4. Just keep going to the right, two books, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. And let me ask you the question. Was the priesthood considered a gift from and for the Lord in the Old Testament? Is there a New Testament counter? The New Testament counter to that is Ephesians 4 and verse 8. Wherefore he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave what? He gave gifts to men. He that ascended is the one who gave gifts, verse 11, to men. It's Jesus. What did he give? He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Would you agree with me that each one was a human being with a special anointing? Not any outstanding traits or characteristics about them as human beings. The Bible says about the Apostle Paul, his bodily stature was weak. Maybe he was a little skinny something. Maybe he was a real ugly something. I don't know what he was. Maybe he was just little and just kind of frail looking. I think of my buddy Guthrie. See, maybe he was just like that. And, and he said, in comparison to everybody else, and he said, and my speech in 2 Corinthians 4, my speech and my preaching was not with the enticing words of Sunday morning's, I mean, uh, enticing words of man's wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and a power, God took such a vessel. And through this vessel, he extended his power and his grace, not only to correct people, but to teach people. This was an anointing. It were gifts. They were able to do something. A lot of people try to do what they do. I don't think you can learn to be a gift. I don't. I do not believe that you can learn to be anointed. You can act anointed, and you can act like a gift. But the evidence that you're not, it will be on the people. Because there'll be no response, or they'll finally all get weary of it and lose interest. But he said, he gave gifts unto men, and he mentioned them by name, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He said, these are for the the putting together of the saints of God, the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministering. Till we all come to the goal that God sets before us individually and corporately, the measure, of the stature, the fullness of Christ. That we be no longer like children tossed to and fro by every message that comes along, every new thing, and people follow it. Crafty men are taking advantage of people's ignorance. But he puts ministry in the church. Let me tell you something. There's not a lot of ministries in the world. But people don't care. They wouldn't care whether you were acting like you were anointed or whether you really were. People have become so ingrained with religion. It's just long as somebody is saying something, don't, it doesn't even have to be right, just say it, and then we've been to church. Didn't Isaiah complain the Bible said they prophesy smooth things? We well, don't care if it's right. What's different today? What's different today? Who, who in the churches today checks out what is said to make sure that it confirms the word of God? They're not that interested. They don't care if our system is set up biblically or not. They don't care if we're man-made or not. They do not care. And for you to say that, and we say it, I probably say it a lot, probably say it too much, but I do know in the last days, many, many people are going to be snared by religion. There is an antichrist coming who is going to wow people so much so that if it weren't for God's intervention, even the elect would follow it. So it's important for us to know what we believe, know why we believe it, and to not settle for something that is close, because there is a way that's close, but it's a way of death. And when it comes to giving, giving in the church, I think the gifts that God gave to the church are who the tithe is for. Not only for those who minister, the evangelists, prophets, and apostles are all mobile ministries. A pastor and a teacher are resident, they're with the same group of people all the time. They have the responsibility of teaching, of disciplining, of overseeing, of taking care of the church, of making sure that things are in order. They're the ones who rule. Because see, the word rule means to stand in front. Do you all believe that if you're gonna have a bona fide Christian church, somebody has to be in charge? Doesn't have to be perfect, just has to be anointed. Doesn't have to preach all the time. Just make sure the people are taught. Oversee, discipline, taking care of this and taking care of that. Somebody has to have a heart to do that. These are the ones that in 1 Timothy 5 that labor in the Lord. Labor is a word of of exertion. Go to 1 Timothy 5. If you don't mind. I know you don't mind. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Let the elders that rule well, that again, that word means to stand before. It means to stand in the front, to oversee. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, if tithing was for today, they get two tithes. Because you use the word honor in Proverbs 3 as, a, as relating to the tithe, honor the Lord with the fruits, Well, that mean they get 20%? But he's not saying that. He's just saying, those who are laboring among you, who care about your souls, and who want to present you perfect before the Lord, count them worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, this is concerning his salary and how much people are keeping from getting that he could have had. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer, is worthy of his hire or his reward. Jesus used that about the ox. and He said, now does the Lord care about the ox or is this altogether for our sakes? He said, if a man is laboring in the word, don't tell him how much of of the grain he can eat and how much he can't eat. It's nobody's business. Just give him what he wants. Give him the grain. That's not easy for any modern era religious assembly to ever in this lifetime do. The idea that one man would get that much money or would have access to that much money, the idea that all the money that goes into an offering box, one man is going to get it? That's not right. So we say, in what way Is that not right? Give me something biblical here. I know what your opinion is, but give me something biblical. In what way is it not not right? Well, there's too many people giving too much money. How do you know how much they give? Have you ever counted the offering? How many of you have ever counted the offering here besides Naomi? Then how do you know? You don't know. And you can't say, man, he's raking it in. I've never asked for it. I've never requested people to give more. Never have. I'm only doing what I'm given to do, with my heart, week after week, as as I best I know how. This is what you're stuck with for right now. It's all you got. And if God chooses to reward me special for doing that, is it all right? I said, well, look at how many people are here. Well, you can't count how many people are here. Not everybody works. What if there were a 1,000 people here? What would you do then? What if you had a 1,000 people and five times more came in every week? What would I do? I don't know. (laughs) Personally, I don't think I could spend that. I'd probably put it into something else. I would. I don't know what I would do. I've never had the problem. But all I'm saying is, if the anointing of God is on somebody and the anointing is changing you, affecting you, and blessing you, then your gift is to God for the anointing. I get rewarded. I get rewarded well. I'm not making light of that. I'm not trying to make more out of it. I'm rewarded well. If you don't want to give to the preacher, then you can give to the poor. We got a box for that. People give and support the poor here all the time. Or support a missionary. Just make sure you're giving it as unto the Lord turn to Galatians chapter six. Give to a man. I remember the first time I heard Hobart Freeman, 1969, Louisville, Kentucky at a Presbyterian church. And we went in there, all 15 of us in that building that night. And, uh, it's a little church. And I remember, kind of looking for the preacher. Well, where is he? I've heard of this guy. I heard a tape. I've never seen him before. Where is he? Well, he was outside in his car preparing for the message. There was no room in this little building for him to be still a little while. And he was in a Cadillac. Now, see, that's a dead giveaway, folks. There's something wrong with that. No preacher ought to have a Cadillac. Now, if you had been driving some highfalutin European model, if I didn't know what it was, I'd probably say, that's nice. But this was a brown Cadillac. And I remember telling Bonnie on the way home, this changed my thinking. This is why we've been together so long. She said, wasn't that good tonight? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, did you see what he was driving? She said, well, I said, a Cadillac. I remember she said these were, I never forgot this. She said, I don't care what he's driving. I just like what he said. And if he's getting enough to buy two Cadillacs, he'd drive one on Monday and one on Tuesday and one on Wednesday. That's fine. As long as it doesn't corrupt him and he keeps feeding the sheep, bless him, Lord, with all he wants. And he does. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word impart or share or communicate with him that teaches in all good things. Be not mocked. And here we go again. Be not mocked. If you don't appreciate it and you don't give, you won't be appreciated and you won't get. Not either spiritually the understanding of the word or in other ways. But listen to it. This has never been the easiest thing for me to teach on because I am the receiver so much. But I know it's true. I know this is true. He said, let him that is taught in the word communicate with him that teaches. Not the system, not a storehouse, not a priesthood, but with him that teaches. Does it say that? Communicate with him or share with him. Maybe it means just to sit down and have a chat. (laughs) Whatever you want to believe it. But in all good things, and remember, God is not mocked. What you sow, you're going to reap. Now, next week, I don't think we'll be able to, but I'm going to try to come to a close. There's some more issues about money. There's debt, land contracts, and some other things that have to do with money that you need to be informed about. Amen. Amen.